So we are reading from 2 Corinthians 6, 1-18. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, <clears throat> by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always re rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for that partnership has righteousness with lawlessness. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Good morning, my name's Rhys, and uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please do keep them open on uh, chapter six there of 2 Corinthians. Our first point today is grasping grace. Is it real for you? I wonder if when you were younger, you ever had a chance to build a sandcastle by the seaside? or maybe by the lakeside. And you maybe spent ages digging and building, making sure that the, the water can flow around the moat that you maybe made. And then along comes the paddle steamer that makes a great big wave and just knocks over your castle. So it might have looked all nice. Maybe you were a pro and you made one like the previous picture, but now it looks like this, smash like an underdone souffle. So all the time spent building is all in vain. There's nothing to show for it. Paul talks of grace in vain here, but the grace that 
he talks about, it isn't about building it for ourselves, is it? So how is it that the Corinthians are in danger of receiving God's grace in vain? Well, the danger is that some have accepted the good news, but over time, when a new message has come along that seems more exciting, they've had their heads turned, turned away from Christ. There's a wrong view of grace, and it starts by being more interested in the gift than the giver. More interested in the gift than the giver. Someone once put on a free solar eclipse party. It wasn't me. I'm not a fan of staring at the sun. And we don't see it much in Wales anyway. But this free solar eclipse party was advertised on Facebook. And they got a reply from a disgruntled parent. Said, most kids go back to school that day. Can you reschedule this for the weekend? (laughs) (laughs) To which someone wrote underneath, did this lady just try to reschedule the sun? Now, she probably didn't read into that as she looked at the, the party. Because if she had, you'd think that she had quite an entitlement, wouldn't you? To try and reschedule the sun. But entitlement is a funny thing. If you get used to something over time, if you get used to having something, then you can feel like it's yours. Like maybe a a sweater that your brother borrowed that you never got back. So the danger is that if we're grasping for grace, then that could be because we think we're entitled to it. And if we are grasping for grace, then it's not something that we're going to give anyone else, is it? we're grasping for something and also we're going to look down on those who don't have it and if this is your view of grace this morning then you've forgotten who the giver is because real grace is God at work in us the glory of God in relationship with people like us helping us to change and that's what Paul has just reminded them of in the previous chapter. He's warning them not to take grace lightly in chapter 5. Paul laid out the amazing work that God has done for us, reconciling us to God through Christ here. And now he's making an appeal to the Corinthians not to ignore that message that he's bringing them. As there's some in the church who are still rebelling against Paul's message, and so therefore against the gospel. So don't go wandering away from this free gift of grace that God offers us back under the law. He says the law won't save us. Are you grasping grace? And and the cost that it really, really means to God. Or are you grasping for grace and not thinking about the gracious giver? The second part of this point then. The time is now. Paul can see that the Corinthians have a view that's left them with an inactive faith. They've become smug, complacent, inward looking and entitled. So Paul's teaching to them, it's become old news. They're thinking we're entitled to someone with more charisma than Paul. Yes, he might have been here to help start off the Corinthian church, but they've moved on. They're after a spiritual buzz And Paul's just not their cup of tea anymore. In fact, they see him more as a decaffeinated coffee with no buzz. They've forgotten that they 
are Christ's ambassadors, we see from chapter 5, verse 20 on the screen here. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He says that's what they're there for. That's what we are here for. That's our number one job. And they and we can lose sight of the priority and privilege that all Christians have to do Christian work, Christian ministry. God chooses us to do this in his world in a unique way. We're his representatives here. And Christ's honour is in our hands in the world. And that means the way we live, the way we speak, the way we act can make people think more or less of Christ. And then Paul gives this quote from Isaiah in verse 2 to remind the Corinthians that the time of salvation has come. The new covenant is here. They're now experiencing God's way in a way that his people in the Old Testament never did. He says the time is now. Last week, my family went to Italy through the Simplon Pass. And on the way back, we were stuck behind this slow lorry. And you look at the sat-nav and the, the minutes kept ticking off. Time to destination was adding up, an extra 25 minutes. And then the center lane turned to a dashed line. There was a straight ahead, no oncoming traffic. You put your foot down, now's the time to overtake. So we get past that truck, past that lorry. And there's another one there. <laughs> but then the same again. You do the same again. You wait for that straight. You wait, wait till the road's safe. You overtake again. The time is now. And that's what, what Paul's saying, that we need to put our foot to the pedal. The time for evangelism is now. Not tomorrow or next week. Or when circumstances are different. Or the seasons change. Opportunities that come now may never return. So I urge you to think this morning, is saving grace real for you? And is it urging you into action for the gospel? They say that the devil's time is always tomorrow because we'll put it off till tomorrow. But God wants us to act now. Next point then, life under scrutiny, a manifesto of Christian ministry. I wonder how many of you have been gazing under a microscope this week, studying changes and scrutinizing the tiny details of what you're examining. I know from some of the students that are in my Bible study group that you have been doing that. But I wonder if your life was un under the microscope, how uncomfortable that would be for you. But that's exactly what Paul wants the Corinthians to do here, isn't it, as they look at him. Because he's confident that if they scrutinize his life, they'll see a manifesto of what true Christian ministry looks like in verse 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Other false teachers who've infiltrated the, Christian, uh, the Corinthian church may be saying, you can have it all. You don't need to suffer or struggle if you're a Christian. You can have the Instagram life where everything looks good, when it's all about image. And in fact, they point to Paul to say, how can he be really telling the truth? How can he be telling you that this real message when his life is such a painful mess? Do you really believe that he's giving you 
good news when he's faced all this persecution and hardship? But Paul says it's those very things that commend my ministry, commend our ministry. The great endurance that we have to keep on going through all the hardships that we face. Endurance that can only come from the Holy Spirit. If God wasn't with me, Paul's saying, then I wouldn't keep going. Paul pours out lots of emotion in these verses, pointing out his own weaknesses. And as he goes through the details of his life, we see that he shows he has the stamp of authentic Christian ministry through these three pairs of three in verses four and five here. So through circumstances that can't be altered, through difficulties, sickness, bereavement, unemployment, Paul says that through these things that are out of his control, it's with great endurance that he carries on. Through the things that aren't in his control, it's through great endurance that he carries on. And verse four, determined not to do anything or say anything that makes it difficult for anyone else to be a Christian. And the next three things he points out are to do with what difficult people bring to his life. Beatings, imprisonments and riots. It's not just messy people um, with raw needs that we might face in Switzerland in our day-to-day -day lives. But for him, he deals with violent, uncontrollable people in opposition to him. For our ministry, for our Christian life, we may, face, uh, we may not face unruly mobs or or the authorities, but we do get sarcastic comments, don't we? Or some other form of mockery or verbal abuse for, for standing up as Christians. And the last three in the, the list are his personal choice. He puts in hard work. His ministry leads him to sleepless nights. I wonder how many times you've been unable to sleep because you've just got someone on your mind. You want to pray for them. You, you just, you, you can't sleep or rest till you've prayed for them and even then you're thinking about them he's unable to sleep he says and then he goes to places where he ends up hungry physically hungry he puts other people's knees before his own and does without meals his love of evangelism gives him this drivenness his heart passion means that he's willing to miss rest sleep or meals it's enough to make you sweat, isn't it? Those three things, missing out on those. Rest, sleep, and meals. Dear me, are you students okay? <laughs> but maybe you found as a Christian that it means that you um, work long hours. You don't switch off at nine to five being a Christian, do you? You could get a call from a friend in trouble or end up in a discussion that you need to finish. You know there's an urgency to it, so you don't switch off. And that's the reality of Christian life. It's, what we, uh, it's that we might not be able to do what we want to do when we want to. Of course, it, it can become too busy um, and we can do things for the wrong reasons. But we must wisely use the energy and time that we have in God's strength. Second half of this point, the life of an enduring Christian. Although we don't want our lives to be under the lens. The fact is that as Christians, we are scrutinized often, aren't we? It means that people will look at what you put on social media and the things that you stick up for and the way that you say things. It will all be under scrutiny. 
It means that people can scrutinize you from their sofas after work, or they can scroll through your comments while riding on the metro. But you could also be witnessing to an old school friend from 20 years ago that you haven't seen by the posts that you put on about your parents or your spouse or your, your beliefs or the things that you've been up to. And Paul wants us to see that there's ways that we can point others to Christ. People can see the outward changes that you face. But he also mentions next the inward changes, the things that take place in, in our private lives. He goes through every area of his life. He's not hiding anything here. If we look at this, he says, he seeks to be knowledgeable and yet innocent, pure in his speech and thoughts. And in his relationships with others, he seeks to show tolerance and sensitivity while still speaking truth. In his spiritual life, we see the Holy Spirit bringing about genuine love in his heart, which he shows the Corinthians as he writes this letter to them. And again, focusing more on his speech, when he has something to say, it's true and it's biblical and it's brought about in the power of God at work through his word. And we also see his commitment to righteousness as well, to fight for what's right. He talks of having weapons of righteousness for the, the right hand and the left. Some say that he could have the armor of God in mind from his letter to Ephesians, the sword of the spirit in one hand, the word of God, and in the other hand, the shield of faith, the faith that protects him when trials seek to overcome him, those trials of life. And other commentators say that it's to show that he has the tools in both hands to equip him for any task that God calls him to through righteousness. So this is Paul's challenge to the Corinthians. Look at my life through the lens, what I've faced, how I live, how I walk privately. He's poured himself out to them and he shows in verse 8a that he's consistent whatever he faces through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise. And then he gives these contrasts in verse 8 to 10, which give um, the false teachers that criticise Paul, he gives those critics an answer to that accusation. How can your ministry be truthful when your life is a mess? Paul says, if you're, you guys, you're looking at it all wrong. You need to adjust your lens and see it from my view. You may say that we're nobodies, to Christ, we are somebody. You might think that we're not worth knowing, but we are known completely by the creator of the universe. We might seem poor or foolish in our generosity, but we possess everything in Christ. The false teachers may say, look how good our life is, how well it's going. But Paul says, look at Christ's life. These verses about Paul's life come straight out of the life of Jesus, don't they? They hung him on a cross for saying he was the son of God because they thought he was an imposter. But what he was saying was true. He is the truth. Every one of these things here, you could draw examples from Christ's life. And the pinnacle of this upside down view of life is that God's son rescued the world by dying a criminal's death. So if your life, if your day, if your ministry is hard, then you're in good company 
And God calls you by his power to endure. Let's look at these next verses then. Heart heroics. If you've been with us throughout this sermon series, you'll know that Paul's been having a hard time with the Corinthians. I mentioned earlier that a lot of them were opposed to him and they want to listen to someone else with a bit more razzmatazz. But since his last teary letter to the Corinthians, some of them have been coming round and have repented. And Paul loves the Corinthians so deeply that we can, and we can see that because he's held nothing back from them, has he? And the, the sad thing is that's not reciprocated by them as he would like. But instead of giving up on them, on his spiritual children, he holds out this olive branch, asking them in verse 13 to open their hearts to what he's just told them in verse 11. Now that's tough on his part. How does he come to this conclusion? Well, we know that what's been done for him, in, he knows what's been done for him in Christ, doesn't he? And it's his calling. He's living out his letter to them. Love in action. He's putting love in action. So these words from Paul, they're deeply personal and they remind us that the Christian life is painful. It's not for cowards. It's painful to love people when they don't respond or when they wander away or when they close up or give up. Loving people means having to make ourselves vulnerable. And it takes bravery to do that, that comes from faith, through faith. But love never ends. Talking about it is one thing, but what we need to do, guys, is act. Are you ready to love in this way? That moves us on to our last point today, careful company. So after all the headache that Paul has been through, he then calls on his spiritual children to not be yoked with the unbelieving rebels in the church, those refusing to listen to Paul and his gospel message. Paul's tying up this part of the letter by saying, if you believe the gospel, then don't yoke yourselves with these who are cheapening grace, those who are bringing false teachers into the church. And he includes these words from different Old Testament prophets to say that the Corinthian church is part of a new covenant, and if that's the case, then they can't tolerate those who've received God's grace in vain. The Greek word for temple here in verse 16 refers to the most holy place where God himself stood over the Ark of the Covenant, a place where the Israelites were not allowed to go. And using this word here, Paul's reminding the Corinthians of the wonderful truth of the new covenant, that they're now temples of God. God dwells in them by his spirit. He's saying you need to be holy. Now, some of you sat here maybe thinking, well, this isn't really for me this point, is it? But maybe you need to look a bit deeper at the songs that you listen to or the TV shows that you're caught up in. We all love stories, but what are those stories teaching us subconsciously? And it's also about the bigger picture. What voices do you let into your home under the radar? Which friends do you listen to most? Most And most importantly, do you allow their views to shape you? Paul is warning us here that we can be led astray. And it's clear what he lives for, isn't it? In Philippians chapter 1, he says, To live is Christ and to die is gain. He doesn't want them to be pulled in the wrong way in life. 
Righteousness doesn't go with lawlessness. Light doesn't go with darkness. Christ doesn't go with Satan. So don't get dragged off to other temples of false gods. Don't be distracted by idols or by something contrary to the gospel. As children of God, we have a wise and loving and perfect father, verse 18, who's adopted us and welcomed us into his family. And he wants to be our confidant. So take a minute to look at the Christian's that God has placed around you. Maybe in your small group or community that can speak wisdom and truth into your life. If you find it hard to think of solid Christian voices to support you, then I urge you today to join a small group in the church. There's some leaflets outside at the back there uh, that you can have a look at for, for the, air, the ones that are close to you. They'd be, they'd be, you'd be most welcome there. They'd love to have you. So to conclude then, now's the time to grasp God's grace and share it with those that you know. Learn from Paul's life as to what Christian life and ministry should look like and not from the culture around you. You can be sure that God loves you because of what Christ has done for you, not because you feel that life is going smoothly or you've had an easy day. So don't be led astray, but act in love to go out and be an ambassador for Christ. Thank you.